The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Business is a competition. There are winners and losers. There's always someone trying to take your business away. And in business, just like sports, there are players, there are coaches, and there is a scoreboard. Welcome to The Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. Whether you're a manager, executive, business owner, salesperson, or entrepreneur, The Business Locker Room is a show that will create content and conversations that will help you improve your business. Now, let's join your host, Kelly Riggs. Hey, fantastic to have you on board. It is the Business Locker Room Show, and I am Kelly Riggs, your host. You can find me online at bizlockerroom.com, or you can go to kellyriggs.com. Follow me on Twitter, at Kelly Riggs. Always great to have you with us. Looking forward to a absolutely fantastic show today, world-class show. David Berkus will join us, and uh, David is the author of The Myths of Creativity, The Truth About How Innovative Companies Generate Great Ideas. And I'm really excited to have David back on. He is the very first repeat guest I've ever had. Uh, we had David on very early in the history of the show and uh, did not spend nearly enough time with him. So I'm looking looking forward to it. He is a fantastic interview, great guy, and a local guy for me. I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He is uh, here as well. Also serves as a, an assistant professor of management at the College of Business at Oral Roberts University, which is located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So we are uh, we got a great show straight ahead. Miles Austin will join us, as always, in the X's and O's segment. And uh, we got a fantastic tool lined up for you today. We're going to talk about presenter media. And uh, it, I, I'm really just looking at their website. I'm excited about it and what it can do for presentations and the way it can impact the way you present to people. So we'll talk to Miles about that. Again, you can always find Miles, and I highly suggest if you're not a regular follower of his, jump on fillthefunnel.com and make sure you subscribe to his blog posts and articles. And he's just got an enormous amount of free resources there you're going to want to take advantage of. Coming down the road, some good stuff. Of course, next Monday, we are off uh, for the holidays. So we will take off September 1st and rebroadcast one of our uh, fantastic shows from the past. And then we will pick back up on September the 8th. In fact, uh, the Chief Revenue Officer of HubSpot, Mark Roberts, will join us, and we'll talk about uh, CRM and um, online marketing and a lot of different things with Mark, but I'm looking forward to that. But on September the 8th, uh, the show, the Business Locker Room show, will take on an all-new look and feel. Uh, It will sound different, feel different. I'm excited about it. Brand-new show, open and close, a lot of good things happening. Uh, just uh, fantastic to wind up here with our 20th show uh, before we take uh, a break during the holiday next Monday and then resume show number 21. Well, we will be sounding different. Uh, thanks for joining us here on The Locker Room. Make sure you go to iTunes if you're not listening to us there, if you're not a regular subscriber to the podcast. 
Just uh, search for The Business Locker Room. You'll find us. Become a regular subscriber. And by the way, folks, if you like the show, please do me a favor. Uh, give me your honest opinion uh, on the ratings and review section. Love to hear from you about what you like for the show. And by the way, if you have an idea for a guest or if you have any thoughts about the show at all, sit, shoot me an email, Kelly at bizlockerroom.com. We are talking uh, today about uh, creativity and innovation uh, with uh, Mr. David Burkus, and, and I'm excited to, to look at uh, some of the things that are available online. One of the things that have, has happened here just recently is uh, the advent of the ALS Challenge. And I, I'm excited to look at the ALS Challenge um, be, because of uh, what it means marketing-wise, what it is doing. It, it, there's been an enormous amount of um, money that has been raised with this particular challenge, which started with a guy who simply had uh, the, um, the ALS disease, a 28-year-old man uh, in Massachusetts, diagnosed in 2012 with the idea, and he in, or with the disease rather, and he came up with the idea to challenge his friends to either dunk a bucket of ice cold water on their heads or post a video to social media and, and donate 10 and, and post, uh, do one or the other. In one way, you donate $10 to ALS research. And the other one, if you don't want to do the, the bucket of ice cold water on your head, donate $100. So it was kind of win-win deal. Here, let's have some fun. Uh, as a challenge, dump a bucket of ice water on your head and send $10 to ALS. Or if that's not your thing, just write a check for $100 and send that to ALS. Uh, ALS. It is caught fire. And has absolutely gone crazy. Uh, as of just a few days ago, there was a press release that said the ALS Association has received over $31 million in donations in the time period from July 29 to August 20. Now, comparatively speaking, they raised less than $2 million uh, during that same time period. Ast absolutely astronomical. In fact, if you get on Facebook uh, there's a pretty good chance you're going to run across someone challenging someone on Facebook uh, to take the ice bucket challenge. Some of the people that have been involved in this, uh, some very big names you've heard of, Bill Gates, Jennifer Lopez, uh, Oprah, Justin Timberlake, Rush Limbaugh, a bunch of uh, very well-known people have been a part of this. And uh, some people like Bill Gates making a really, really big to-do about how they dump the bucket of ice on their head. But uh, many, many celebrities and world leaders involved in this. And I was reading an article today written by Caitlin Fish. I think it was published uh, a few days ago, August the 21st. And it's entitled, Soaked in Success, Behind the Marketing Strategy of the Ice Bucket Challenge for ALS. And I found it to be fascinating, all of these people uh, involved in this. But it says, five ways the Ice Bucket Challenge applies to your marketing strategy. And I, I happened to be in a particular conversation with a client and a group of people a few days ago, late last week, and they were talking about the marketing side of this. And now this is going to be a, a, a big deal in, in the marketing conversations that begin to arise over the next several months, uh, perhaps uh, become an interesting case study on its own. But it has uh, taken off and become viral so quickly off just a very simple challenge uh, by someone without any name recognition whatsoever. It is a lesson in, in, in how to use 
marketing in ways that people don't think about. But uh, it talks, uh, this particular article by Caitlin Fish, uh, which was um, published, by the way, in Business to Community, B2C online, businesstocommunity.com, soaked in success behind the marketing strategy of the Ice Bucket Challenge for ALS. So number one, make it personal. People are more likely to participate if you include a personal story or reason for the cause. And that, you know, I suggest that has to be true in this case. I mean, you just ask somebody to dump some, some ice on their head or, you know, make a donation to a particular charitable uh, donation or charitable institution. That's one thing. But to, to have someone who is stricken with this, uh, this very ugly disease and to make that appeal and make it very personal, uh, this particular challenge calls out people directly. So uh, they, they feel a, an obligation. <clears throat> the way it works, if you've not been a part of it as of yet, and I suspect you will be if you haven't, but on Facebook, typically, someone will challenge you by saying, I'm, I want to ask three people. I want to ask so-and-so to take a part of this challenge. I'm calling you out, make a donation or take the ice bucket challenge. And so it, it is very personal. Number two, they talk about making it relevant. And, and what in this case, what they did is they included an, a hashtag that relates to the cause. So everything that goes out on social media has the hashtag uh, ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. And so it's it's become, uh, you know, one of the, the, the trending hashtags on Twitter right now. But that increases brand awareness, makes it easy to track the buzz behind it. And a, a good hashtag will include things that automatically tell you what it's about. So this is what it does. The hashtag ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. So you see that and you automatically know exactly what's going on. Number three, include a call to action. So after your hashtag is created, you can polish off the campaign with a call to action. Uh, the ice bucket challenge actually does that in two ways, as I mentioned. Number one, dump dump a bucket of ice over your head and send ten dollars to ALS, or don't, and send them a hundred dollars. But at the same time, uh, you also nominate other friends to keep that challenge going. And in this case, you know it's that multi-level marketing idea. You know, get three people to each get three people to each get three people to get involved in the challenge, and it is a fantastic way to to be able to raise an enormous amount of money. Uh, and they say, th you know, think about the end goal in your particular marketing campaign. What do you want people to do? That's important. Then number four, share, share, share. That was the easy thing about this campaign. It was very personal. It was very relevant. Had the call to action. And everyone, everyone wanted to share the, their video because that's the magic behind it, I suspect, is you call someone out on a short video that you post on YouTube or Facebook or both. But you, it shows you either getting dunked. Well, everyone I've seen thus far, you're getting dunked in ice water, ice bucket. And at the same time saying, hey, you know, if you care about this disease, if you care about making an impact, uh, do the same. Take take the challenge. And then, of course, the fifth part, uh, like every marketing campaign, you want to track and analyze the results. This is just a fascinating uh, exercise in viral marketing and uh, in creativity as well. I can't wait to get David Burkus online and talk about the idea of the Ice Bucket Challenge and where things like that come from. And can you consistently create those kinds of, of 
innovative ideas, creative marketing ideas. So uh, we'll go back and have that conversation with him as well. I, I mentioned David is the author of uh, The Myths of Creativity. He's also got his most recent article on the Harvard Business Review blog. I want to talk about it as well. It's called The Irresistible Lure of Procrastination. We've all heard of procrastination. We'll talk about procrastination as well. Well, we're going to take our first time out. And uh, when we come back on the other side, we'll be joined uh, by, by David Burkus. Many thanks to Michael Sergit. He's on the other side of the glass. He always makes me sound a lot better than I really am. But you're listening to the show that is the fusion of the collective wisdom and real-world business experience. That's the kind of guests that we get on board, people who can talk about things that we can do differently today to make a difference in the performance of our business tomorrow. We'll come right back. We're going to take a time out. I'm Kelly Riggs. You're listening to the Business Locker Room on Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to the Business Locker Room. I'm Kelly Riggs. The show with compelling conversations and useful content you can use to improve your business today. Why wait? Kinds of guests that we get on board are the kind that can make a huge difference in your business. Some ideas that you can take away and really do something the very next day in your business. This week it's David Burkus, and we talk about leadership and innovation and creativity and any number of other things. Dave's been on the show before. He is a world-class interview. Great to have him back. He's the author of The Myths of Creativity, the truth about how innovative companies generate great ideas. And by the way, he is also the founder and host of, uh, he pronounced it, Leader Lab. It's his own podcast that I highly recommend you find, L-D-R-L-B dot C-O. And he talks about leadership and innovation and strategy. He's also a writer for a number of uh, different publications, Harvard Business Review blog being one of those. He's widely published there as well. Dave, great to see you. Great to talk to you again. Uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's great to be back on. Man, you've got so much uh, going on, but not the least of which is uh, you're back in the classroom, right? 
I am, I am. This is week two. Classes started. Well, actually, really, they started three weeks ago. But that's you know, here's the syllabus. Move on with your life type thing. Uh, so we're one week down. We're starting out the second week today. So I'm actually I'm I'm on the phone in between classes right now. Oh, fantastic. Tell me about, you're an assistant professor of management, College of Business at Oral Roberts University here in Tulsa. Tell, what is your favorite course to teach? I mean, which one lights you up the most? <laughs> well, they're sort of like children, right? You, you're suppo- I'm supposed to answer I love them all, even if I do have favorites. Yeah, but I know uh, that. Yeah, there you go. So I, um, I actually, I do teach a course on creative, we call it creative thinking and business, but on creativity and managing innovation. Um, that's actually set to go in a little bit today at 4.30. It's an evening class, so that one's a lot of fun. Um, really, I mean, a lot of the subjects uh, I really enjoy. I, I will say I'm one of those weird professors that actually enjoys evening and, and condensed classes rather than the Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday. I like to really be able to spend two or three hours with everybody, kind of get in and generate a good discussion. So I'd say those are my favorite more than any particular content. Oh, I got you. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, it gives you a chance to get in much more detail. And, and spend some time interacting with students. Well, I, I don't know if you heard of, a bit of the open, uh, but there was an article that uh, crossed my desk today, soaked in success behind the marketing strategy of the Ice Bucket Challenge for ALS. Uh, clearly, we're going to spend more time talking about innovation and, and than we are marketing and, and, and leadership and those kinds of things. But uh, there, there is a lot of creativity and innovation behind this. I assume you're familiar with the uh, Ice Bucket Challenge. Yes, I have. Um, I have been challenged twice, and I have yet to craft my response. So we'll see, we'll see how that works. <laughs> What's your thought process behind this? I mean, it's, clearly, there's. There's. I, I don't know if it's just spontaneous or if there was a lot of thought that went into this. But a 28 year old man who had been diagnosed with the disease back in 2012 came up with the idea, and suddenly ALS is up almost 30 million dollars in the in the same time period from last year in donations. It's a. It's a fairly ingenious. Yeah, no, it's it's a um, it's a really cool idea. I think you know I I have this tendency. Um, there's a there's a chapter in the book that I call it the the originality myth, right? Which is that all all great ideas are actually are not wholly original. They're combinations of pre-existing ideas. And so I have this tendency when I see stuff like this to try and uh, dissect it and figure out you know where where did this idea come from even even before him. Um, I, th- I think it's really interesting because I think what, what he really did, if you, you know, everybody's Facebook feed is probably lit up with all of these things. But even before then, among the you know, teen and early 20-something set, there, there are all of these different challenges, and they're all just like stupid, for lack of a better term. You know, they're, they're try and eat two slices of white bread without any water in a minute type challenges, or like, right. or, uh, or, you know, like eat a whole spoonful of paprika and, and videotape yourself doing it. What I love about this one is he's taken sort of the, the weird virality of those and actually redirected it towards a social good that's really quite exciting and quite cool. So um, I, think, I think that's a really powerful idea. Of course, now the, the, the question to me, too, is, is, yes, this is done awesome. How do we do that in other areas? How do we take ideas that have some level of virality and catchiness to them but um, don't necessarily serve that? You know, I know, I know that you, uh, you were talking about it off. Uh, I was listening a little bit, and you were talking about how there's the Challenge 3 People, which is kind of a MLM network marketing thing. So yes. how, do we take, how do we take that model but do it towards social good? Wouldn't that be cool? I, I don't know how... You know, I don't know how that works, but I think that'd be really quite cool. Well, you're, you're way ahead of me. Uh, David Burkus is our guest, the author of uh, The Myths of Creativity. And uh, I, I might mention you can find him at davidburkus.com. It's B-U-R-K-U-S, and follow him on Twitter at, at David Burkus. But you're ahead of me in the sense that really that's what I wanted to talk to you about with regards to this specific idea is 
What made this take off when some of these other silly ones have not had the opportunity to to be as viral? I mean, what is there about dumping a bucket of ice on your head that seemingly appeals to people? Well, I'm sure I'm sure there's a couple things. You know, I think everybody wants to be the coach of the uh, the winning game, right, and have that ice bucket moment um, at the tail end of it. But I think I think a lot of it is um, so. There's there's this idea if if we want to go crazy academic for a moment. There's this idea, this breakdown of um, how, w- w- when good ideas spread, when, I, when good products push through the, the uh, diffusion of innovation curve and actually attain scale, they tend to have a lot of different things in common. Um, there tend to be, they tend to be observability is really high, so it's really easy to see. Let's use a product, for example. It's really easy for friends and colleagues and loose, weak ties in the network to see that that person has adopted the product. Um, but also there's a really easy uh, relative advantage. So it's really easy to see that the person is different because, that, because they did this, right? Now, if you think about this in the context of water, right, and I, it's very easy to see the ice bucket challenge because you're putting it right on your Facebook uh, wall for sure and you're, and you're sort of trying it out. Um, I think on some level, too, there is a, a uh, needs to be seen as a logical extension type of thing. And so this is where that taking the ideas of the past and moving them uh, forward towards a new, more social good idea happens, right? So you can see where the idea of calling people out, this, this person wasn't the first person to call people out and do some sort of challenge on, on Facebook. I mean, truthfully, that idea stems all the way back from like chain letters, right? Right. So this, so this is seen as this next logical iteration of something people are already kind of used to, right? But in this case, because the observability is high and because the impact is high, you know, the, the really interesting thing to me about the Ice Bucket Challenge wasn't when it first started, and first got a little viral because that was kind of cool, it was the first press release from the ALS that said, look, this thing has raised noticeably more money, not 30 million, but even when it was a couple million, that generated people to go, okay, now I see there's a real relative advantage into taking part in this you know, chain letter, this chain email thing versus all of the other ones. So now I'm, I'm already aware the social proof is there because my friends are doing it. The impact is there because they've announced the impact. And if you, if, if you look back to different people's, if you look back in your Facebook feed, it's after that first or second press release where they said, here's how much money we're making, that that's when everybody jumped on. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if, if this is an inflection point or not, but for me personally, my perception was when I saw the Bill Gates thing, when he began to show some creativity in dumping the ice bucket on his head, to me, that was uh, six ways of brilliant. I mean, it, it got people involved at a number of levels, but now it's like, all right, let's see if you can one-up my creativity. And again, I immediately thought about you as I prepared for this show is how, how do you how do you get people to, to begin to think creatively? Many times it's just getting out there and doing something differently that sort of gets the ball rolling. But, but for him now, suddenly you're, you're beginning to see, at least from my sense, maybe it's not true, but it, it seems to be that inflection point where Gates kind of took it to another level. Do you think that has some validity? Yeah, I mean, but I think not just, not just Gates, right? So, so creativity is, is iterative, right? So there's that idea yes. of combinations of pre-existing ideas that – we, we take this initial idea, then we build it, we make it our own, then people take our own version and combine it with something else and make it their own. And so you have Gates' as one, you have uh, Elon Musk had five buckets with all five of his kids pulling the rope at the same time. I've seen ones of construction workers who are using uh, you know, construction equipment, the giant, you know, I don't even yes. know what, backhoes and all sorts of stuff to pour water yes. onto themselves. And everybody, every, what everybody's doing is doing their modification sort of of the idea. So there's a there's a chance for self-expression. But what that creates, too, is people build. There's that can you top this idea. People are building off of the ideas of other people and just adding a little bit of a twist to make it sort of their own thing, 
right? And we'll and we'll keep seeing that. Some of my favorites have actually been the um, the more presidential ones. So there's a really funny one with uh, George W. Bush, who says, you know, I, I'm just going to write a check because it wouldn't be pre- presidential for me to take the ice bucket challenge. And then his wife comes on and dumps the bucket of water on his head anyway as he's writing a check. Which yeah, I think is—I mean, great. you knew—you know—he knew it was coming, but it's quite—it's a, a new, funny take. It's a chance for some level of sort of self-expression, right? So, it so is—it is amazing. Yeah, it is amazing to me how uh, this is a very, very simple sort of idea has uh, spiraled out of control in the sense that it's again, you said it's iterative, and that's exactly right. Dave, what what's the secret? to trying to create something like this inside of an organization. I mean, is there anything uh, that you would tell your classes, for instance, listen, if you're going to put together viral marketing campaigns, here's some very basic principles, and they're exemplified right here in this particular ALS uh, ice bucket challenge. Well, so I don't, I don't know that, uh, so virality is a really weird thing that I don't know that we, uh, we know enough about it. I mean, we know those sort of five factors, but even those, and that's, that comes from the work of Everett, Everett Rogers from a long time ago, but I don't even know that we can then predict that. I think, I think the real lesson is just to, just like people are doing individually with their version of the video, I think the real lesson is to always be building off of other people's ideas. I think we create in our, in our businesses, in our lives, you know, entrepreneurially trying to come up with that big idea for a company. I think we create too much pressure to come up with something wholly original, which you're never going to do. But the great ideas that scale are always logical extensions, next steps, new twists on old ideas. Those are the things that scale. Um, and so those are the things that we should be going for. Right? So don't, don't waste your time trying to do something wholly original because that's never going to happen. Right? Try and figure out how you can make your unique mark on something people already kind of know and love. Right. But yeah, it makes a lot of sense. In your book, The Myths of Creativity, the truth about how innovative companies generate ideas. You dispel a number of myths in the chapters in the book, but, it, but at the same time, you, you do discuss uh, some very systematic ways to begin to create uh, innovation inside of companies. So give us, give us a sense of what that looks like from, from the standpoint of your book. Yeah, so uh, what I take aim at and where the idea, uh, we talked about this a tad bit on, on the show last time, where the idea for the book came from is that I noticed that Inside of these legendary creative companies, your Googles, your Pixars, your Apples, your um, Basecamp, formerly 37 Signals, all of these fascinating companies, um, the, the way that people describe their creative process, their creative abilities, they use different terms, and, and truthfully, they use different stories than, uh, for lack of a better term, everyday people do, or people mm-hmm. who have discounted their own creative abilities. And so what I take aim at in the, in the book is, is 10 different areas where I feel like, hey, these are things that some people are telling themselves, and they're truthfully, what they're doing is they're using them to discount their ability to even be creative. So they're saying things like, oh, I, I just, I'm waiting on my muse, or I, I, that person's just gifted, right, which is saying they have the creative genes or not, et cetera. And, and the most innovative companies, the most innovative people, they tell themselves a different story about it's a process, and I just need to know the process, learn the process, know where I am in the process, and keep trusting and applying that process. And, and what's funny is I use the term like it's a process in reality, there are tons of researchers with tons of different stages in the process. Um, but the point is, I think so many people wait for creativity to be an isolated event. But the people in the companies that, that do it right know that. Uh, Ed Catmull, the founder of Pixar, says it this way. Every Pixar film starts out as the worst idea for a film ever, and then gradually they move through a process that they call going from suck to non-suck. And what, they, <laughs> what that... I love that term because it, it also <laughs> lowers the bar. It says you don't sure. have to have that groundbreaking idea. Just submit yourself to the process of refinement, and eventually 
some ideas will turn into great ideas. And I have a hard time, you know, 20-plus Academy Awards later, I have a hard time picturing any Pixar film could have started out sucking. But when I hear Ed Catmull say that, it, it, it tells me something about how I handle the ideas that my students bring to me, that we, we do inside, how, how we handle ideas inside of companies. We judge them too quickly instead of letting them go through that process of refinement. Well, you also talk about the idea of brainstorming in the book, and brainstorming is that term that everybody's familiar with, and you know, solving problems, creating new ideas, new new products, new marketing initiatives, those kinds of things. This this sounds perhaps like it might be something like brainstorming, and yet uh, you have a lot to say in the book. Uh, how, how do you approach the idea of brainstorming? Yeah, so uh, everybody's eyes roll one way or the other when they uh, when they hear the term brainstorming, right? I think no everybody has, everybody's been in a brainstorming session that they just find dreadful, and and what I take aim at is not, I'm not going to jump in the argument on does it work or does it not work, because it's a really nuanced thing as it is. But brainstorming, to me, represents one stage of a process. So brainstorming is, is commonly re- referred to in academic circles as divergent thinking. It's when you're trying to come up with lots of different possibilities, lots of different ideas, and we need that. But so often what a lot of companies do is they'll get into a room, they'll brainstorm, quote-unquote, they'll throw out a bunch of ideas on a whiteboard, for example. Then they'll step back and, and look at all the ideas, circle one, and go, that's where we're going. And we never take any of the time to do the opposite type of thinking known as convergent thinking, where you combine ideas, where you refine ideas, where you drill down into the one best idea. We very rarely do that. Instead, we, we pick up an idea at its very first iteration, and we say, we're going to try that one. And then we try it, and it fails. And then we go back to the room, back to the whiteboard, and we brainstorm again. We end up in this endless cycle, mostly because we're not respecting that there's a broader process of which brainstorming is a part, and it can work really well. There are other techniques that, that work better, but it can work really well. The, the point is that we need, anytime we're doing this sort of divergent thinking, we also need to be thinking convergently. And then even then we're not out of the woods because we should probably have stages of prototypes and refinements and that sort of thing before we're ready for prime time. David Burkus is our guest. You can find him at davidburkus.com. We're going to take our second time out. Short break and we'll come back. We've got much more to talk to uh, David about. Also, Miles Austin will join us in the X's and O's segment. We'll talk about an online tool called Presenter Media. You want to stick around. Much more of the business locker room to come. I'm Kelly Riggs. We'll be right back. The business community's first choice in internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Thank you. 
rep, a manager, business owner, executive entrepreneur. Maybe you just have an interest in marketing, social media, business strategy, innovation, creativity, you name it. You'll find it here in the Business Locker Room. Thanks for joining us again. I'm Kelly Riggs, your host. You can find me at Kelly Riggs on Twitter. Send me an email, kelly at bizlockerroom.com. We're in the middle of a conversation with David Burkus. You can find him at, at David Burkus on Twitter. DavidBurkus.com is uh, where you'll find his uh, website, but uh, more importantly, the podcast, Leader Lab Podcast, is at ldrlb.co.co. And man, you, you have some world-class guests on uh, on your podcast, Leader Lab, David, tell 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 us just a little bit about that and how we can find it and the kinds yeah. of things that you do there. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, so the podcast, yeah, uh, LDRL, LDRLB, we we call it Leader Lab. There's a fun story about intellectual property law there. Suffice it to say, if you're going to buy a domain, always check the trademark too. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so that's that's a different monologue altogether. Um, but so we started it uh, maybe five years ago now, a little more than five years ago. And really, I'll be, I'll be dead honest, it started out as, uh, hey, maybe if I have a podcast, I can get some of my intellectual heroes to talk to me about their book. And, uh, and so really, it was, it was a total head fake. It was build a little bit of a following and help people, um, help people promote their own work. But then also, you know, we'd do a 30-minute podcast, and then I'd spend another 15 to 30 minutes on the phone after the recording with some of these people and getting a lot of really cool advice about myself, what I should do career-wise, et cetera, which I shouldn't tell this to people because then it seems really selfish. But that was the real reason for my interest in it was just being able to pick the brains of these people. And um, what I found was really cool is there was lots of other people who were interested in picking their brains too, and they turned into listeners, and, and we've been going strong for – about five years now. And now I do it just because it's a bunch of fun. Uh, I love, I'm, I'm an ideas person. I love new ideas. I love combining new ideas, seeing where, where ideas can take us. Words and ideas have the power to change the world. And uh, so I love talking about the ideas that may or may not change the world, but we'll flush them out on the show and figure out which ones do. Well, there's certainly no shortage of podcasts out there, but the vast majority of them are, are short-lived and very few of them are as good as yours. I will tell you for sure. LDRLB.co. Folks, the kinds of people that you find David interviewing are, are at the very, very top of the business food chain, and, and it's one that bears listening to on a regular basis. Before we went to the break, you made a comment about brainstorming. You said, hey, it's not the best way to do things. Certainly, you can make it work on occasion. Uh, but, but that leads to the obvious question from an interviewing standpoint is, if that's not the best way to go about it, David, what is the best way? What's the best way to create and innovate? Man, I worried you were going to say that. Okay, so keep in mind, so, so uh, brainstorming is a divergent thinking technique, and there are other divergent thinking techniques, mind mapping, brain writing. I, I find that groups tend to want to brainstorm for a little period of time, but I find you can give a little bit of like extra juice to any brainstorming session if you actually start it in silence and you hand out you know, post-it notes or pieces of paper and you tell people to write down their ideas to themselves first for, I mean, literally only like three minutes or so. And then you have everybody share those ideas. And what that does is it sort of draws the introverts, the people that want to hang back, not to say that introversion is bad, we, just, we all have natural tendencies, but the people that, that don't necessarily want to share, I think feel like they're getting a stronger permission, a stronger prompting to share, and then you end up with a better discussion. And the other thing is that the, the real genius of any time spent wanting to come up with ideas, wanting to brainstorm, wanting to start this process, it's really, it's not about just coming up with long lists of new ideas. It's about discussing the ideas that are in front of you and allowing them to combine and allow them to, to iterate into better versions of the ideas, that sort of a thing. So really, it's, it's, to me, it's not about the list that comes out of it. It's about the discussion around the ideas that you have in that room. 
Because if you just, the reason I say there are other things that work better, if you're just looking to develop a list of ideas, then almost all the research says just put, set up five people in a room, put five people in five rooms and ask them to do it by themselves. And you'll have more lists. But if you put them all in the same room together, you'll actually have a better quality list if you discuss the ideas after you've done coming up with them and you figure out where those, that discussion takes you. Yeah, I, th- I think that's such great advice as a guy who spends a lot of time in my own personal practice doing strategic planning with organizations of all sizes. It is amazing how discussions around uh, capabilities and weaknesses and challenges, you know, just, just the right people in the room having discussions about what's working, what's not working, often inevitably bubbles up some idea that makes an awful lot of sense for that particular company, and then everybody can get moving in the right direction. But uh, to your point, uh, having had this conversation with you in the past, many times I'll start out the process by having people do that individually, and and, and they're not interrupted by somebody else's good idea. At least that seems to be my take on it, is they can think in their own realm and then uh, perhaps uh, throw a little fuel on the fire when they get together in a larger group. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, let's, let's switch gears just a little bit because uh, you, you write quite a bit and you also write uh, – one of the places that you write is the HBR blog network, Harvard Business Review. Your most recent piece uh, published on the 13th of August, The Irresistible Allure of Precrastination. Uh, I, I suspect that a lot of people may not have any sense of familiarity with the idea of precrastination. Procrastination, sure. Precrastination, not so much. Uh, what is the difference? Yeah, so we're, we're all really good at procrastination, right? We're all really familiar with that one. So, so precrastination is a new term. It actually it came from a study that we, the researchers weren't necessarily expecting to find, and then they sort of coined this term. Uh, and, and the best, because it's such a new term, we don't have a single unified definition of it, but the best definition of it is when you seek to, um, to check things off of your list, right? So you have a bunch of things to do, and you want to just get them done as quickly as possible. And as a result, you do them... Uh, in a way that on the back end produces more work because you either have to um, you have to go back and revise or you just jumped into something instead of thinking about the best way to do it effectively and as a result you end up spending more time doing it than if you had thought through it all. So the, the study that came out of is actually really really kind of a weird study. But imagine if you will if I if I put you at the end of an alleyway and I had um, a bucket of water right in front of you or actually pennies they used. Um, but a bucket right in front of you and another bucket of the same weight about halfway down the alleyway. And I said, uh, your assignment for this study is to just pick up either bucket, whichever one you want, and walk it down to the end of the alleyway. And what they found is that most people, so right away you know that if you pick up the one that's in the middle of the alley, right, then you'll have to carry a heavy bucket for less distance. Yes. But they found that most people grabbed the one that was right by them and just started walking. And in, as a result, they ended up exerting more effort, right? They ended up carrying it for longer. So this is, this is where they came up with this term precrastination. What they theorized is that those people wanted to, to check it off, to, to get the, um, you know, to sort of free up some cognitive load, right? So they didn't have to think about one more thing. They could get it off their mind. They wanted to jump into it so much that they never even paused to consider how much more effort would have to be exerted if you did that, right? And we do this, I think we do this in the workplace all the time. This is what the article was about. It's, it's a weird weird to take that and bring it into the workplace, but I think we do it all the time. When we, yeah, I, for example, I felt really convicted when I read this study because I'm a big proponent of inbox zero. I don't feel like I'm on, I don't feel like I'm at home yet until I can zero out all the stuff that's in my inbox and reply to all those different emails. And, but as a result, in a desperation move to try and get it all done, sometimes I end up having to send way more emails on the back end because I didn't send enough information the first time. I didn't think through my response. I, I would honestly, I'd be better off um, 
you know, reading the email, thinking about it for a little while, and then com- compiling a response than just responding right away because I wanted to get it out of my inbox, right? I end up creating yes. more work on the back end because I procrastinate on the front end. But at, the, at that point in time, it feels like we're, we're getting something off the list. And you, you actually make the connection to uh, a task list. You said when it comes to structuring our work, many times we'll spend the first few minutes of the workday constructing a plan. And then when we look at that plan, we do all the easy stuff first. Oh, yeah, because we love those little small wins and that sort of thing, for sure. And, and the other thing that I think we do a lot of times is we construct a to-do list and we turn a to-do list into a schedule. And they're two very different things, right? A schedule, mm-hmm. and, and really, I mean, you know, you know, because um, most people, you know that if you don't take something from your to-do list and put it into your calendar, it doesn't get done. It just moves to the next day, right? But I think we need to do that more often instead of treating our to-do list like it controls our calendar. And so as a result, we do all the easy stuff. We save all the hard stuff till the next day, et cetera. If we could sit down at the beginning of the day, look at your to-do list, look at your calendar, and figure out when is the best time to do this activity, when's the best time to do this one, how much time should I wait before doing this one to, to, to be able to think about it. All of those things would help us have a, a more effective workday. Uh, one of my other, uh, other friends that also writes uh, for the HBR blog is a guy named Ron Friedman. And a couple, about a week before my piece went live, he had a, a great piece went live that compared how we should spend the first couple minutes of our day to what's known in cooking as mise en place, right? This idea of preparation. So when, mm-hmm. a, when a chef goes into a, a three-star, a Michelin-star restaurant, the first thing they do for the first 30 minutes of their shift is prepare their cooking station so that they'll never have to go back and prepare it again for the rest of their shift. And I don't think we do that often enough in our workday. We don't show up and prepare our work, our work like we need to to be able to survive an eight-hour workday. Well, that's tremendous insight. I mean, for somebody uh, who's running their own small business or perhaps a salesperson who's running in their own territory, those kinds of things, we, we typically come up with that task list. That's not the hard part. But what you're saying is extending it into a list of priorities is placed into a schedule and thoughtfully considered in terms of how it impacts my time effort today is, is a whole nother set of rules rather than just simply writing out a task list and working my way through the easy stuff first. Right. Well, or even just or choosing the wrong metrics. Like you mentioned sales. I, I spent five years in the pharmaceutical sales industry, and I would think about, okay, here are the 10 doctors I need to go see today, and I would make my list of how to see them based on who was geographically closest until I realized that that's not the best way to do it. I should do it by how much time does it acu- actually occupy to see them all, and then I should structure in based on their availability, based on how long I know it takes to see them. Geography might actually be the least effective way to do it. Right, because of all of these other factors. Absolutely. Well, I, I have the same concept in terms of the work that I do in sales. To train a lot of salespeople across the country, and uh, inevitably, what you find with average salespeople is they're spending the most time with the, the the smallest and easiest customers to access, whatever that may be. The the larger payoff customers, uh, they spend as you know less time with. But more importantly, and this is the part that really gets salespeople in trouble, they see all of those. Uh, customers as equal. I mean, they're all customers, quote unquote, but they're not all equal. Some can produce $1,000 in revenue, some 10000 some 100000 So it bears some sense of beginning to prioritize where you spend your time because if you spent five years in pharmaceuticals, you know the, the real currency you trade in is your time. That's all you have. Oh, totally, totally. And so how you, know, how you decide to use that is, is a critical part of this. Well, th- this idea of procrastination just sort of intrigues me. Uh, and going back to the study that you were talking about, they actually varied that quite a bit. They would put various sizes of uh, buckets and various weights in various places, and people just tended to gravitate towards those buckets in which they could get the task done sooner rather than perhaps easier. 
Boy, that, that's that's amazing in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, I think I, 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 so often and so much of productivity literature is even about just figuring out the tasks and, and getting them. And we like that. We like to check stuff off, right? So we like to make lists and we feel good about ourselves when we check them off. But maybe, maybe the most way to do a productive day is one that only actually checks one thing off the list, but it was the most important thing, right? Yeah, it's great stuff. David Burkus has been our guest. He is the author of The Myths of Creativity, The Truth About How Innovative Companies Generate Ideas. Find him at HBR blog as well. The stuff that he writes is absolutely fantastic. Uh, must read in my my book. And then you want to listen to his podcast, LDRLB. That stands for Leader Lab, LDRLB.co. David, such a great honor to have you on board. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Fantastic. Well, we're going to take our final time out. When we come back on the other side of the break, we'll be joined by the inestimable Miles Austin. He is the, uh, the, uh, the guy that orchestrates the X's and O's segment, finds out where all of these great online tools are, brings them to the audience, and he has changed a lot of lives, including mine, by the way, with the tools that he brings on board. So we'll be right back. We'll take this short time out. And when we come back, more of the Business Locker Room on Voice America. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, a step-by-step guide to a Hall of Fame career in sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Kelly Riggs on Twitter at bizlockerroom.com. You can find our blog and all the information about our current shows, past shows, what's coming up, what's coming around the corner, and much more from my friend Miles Austin, who joins us in the X's and O's segment. Today, Miles, welcome, by the way. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Kelly. Glad to be here. I don't want to ever take you for granted, my friend. You are the power behind this show. Hey, we're going to talk about presenter media and, uh, of course, as, as all these companies do, they're online, presentermedia.com. And, and we were talking uh, during the break. This is one that you're really, really excited about and you use quite a bit. Give us the overview. 
Kelly, I've, I've been a subscriber for these guys. This is one of those that you have to pay for. It's very, very inexpensive. We'll talk about pricing if you want to. But um, I've subscribed to this now for going on four years, and I've watched them grow and expand. Just picture anything that you need to do visually, whether it's PowerPoint, whether it's a website, a blog post. Um, if you're coming up with some kind of a, like a, a birthday card for a friend that you want to send online, a video production, no matter what it might be, intros for your videos and things. This product from Presenter Media has so many variations and so much rich, fresh content, new things being added every month. Uh, I would, I hope they're not listening. I would pay double or triple what my membership <laughs> is on an annual basis. Okay, I'm calling them. Yeah, that's going to happen. <laughs> oh, that's that's fantastic. Well, I, I'm looking at the website presentermedia.com, and uh, it it is it, it looks incredibly robust. And I know that you mentioned you use it quite a bit for your own. G give give me an example, something recent you've done, and give our audience a sense of how uh, someone like yourself would use it. Sure. Well, I mean, I'll use the the one that I use I, the most that people are just usually blown away by. Um, you know, we've all seen those little uh, what I call the balloon people those little images that are just kind of anatomically neutral and uh, different shades and things. And you can use those to represent people without he and she and all of that. Sure. But what I found very helpful, I'm doing a lot of work in video right now, a lot of work in video. And one of their capabilities, they provide a ton of custom video backgrounds. So as an example, if you're going to put a YouTube video up, maybe you have something um, maybe it's a presentation, maybe it's a new product announcement for your company. Uh, maybe you're taking on a new role in a new position with the company and you're introducing yourself uh, maybe on something like LinkedIn, etc. You can go, you create your video as you normally would with whatever your tools are, and we'll talk about some of those in upcoming shows, by the way. But you've got your video, but you want to put some kind of a little entry, um, a little intro and an outro, if you will, so that it looks sharp that looks professional and can transition from what you want to show them in the video with you talking or your presentation or whatever, but you want to introduce it and give it a title and position it in the right way. These guys have an animated high-def video capability with their tools that are literally second to none. Wow, I, I'm, I'm transfixed by this. I'm looking online, and you're right. As you were describing, I see all of the video ideas that they have, the animation videos that they have. So what, what we look at, uh, Miles, is the opportunity to use it in video, to use it in uh, PowerPoint and keynote presentations, uh, standalone uh, one-sheet pieces. I mean, there, there's just an enormous amount of opportunity here. They have they have PowerPoint templates, which I go back a ways and think, man, there was a point in time where I could have used you know, some help with PowerPoint templates as well and, and wouldn't preclude the use of, of help again today. But there, there's, there is a lot of power here. Well, there is. And I, the, the one, if you're on the site, for even for the listeners, if you're looking at that video backgrounds tab, go one to the right. And if you want to be blown away, go to one to the right, which is the tab is called custom text. And this is where you can create custom animated clips, custom clip art, and custom videos. And just, just click on any one of those, and what you're going to see is um, Presenter Media has used some technology that gives you some beautiful, I mean, really stunning animation graphically, three-dimensional, but there's text on the screen that you can enter in online 
and to have text that matches your message. So uh, as an example, you can say maybe there's a little guy writing in reverse format on the screen, like they're writing mm -hmm. on a piece of glass, right? Right. And it'll give you four bullets. Well, you put the text in for those full bullets and hit render, and it comes back and gives you that little animated figure writing those four key bullets on the screen for you. Really, now, really powerful. That is slick. Now, do, does the animation occur in both PowerPoint and video, or does it apply one or the other? Yeah, what happens is when you do this custom stuff like this, you enter your text or messaging or bullet points that you want, and you'll actually save it as a file to your hard drive. And then you can insert that into, or very frankly, into things like PowerPoint or Keynote. I use it a ton in website work. If I'm doing an online presentation, maybe using Google Hangouts or, or go to webinar, I'll have that and I'll enter these in. The one that's really been fun for me was to do when I'm doing a live presentation like at a sales conference. I'll use some of these and I'll build the animation in a way that as I ask the question of my audience, that first one comes up. And they can see the little guy writing it right on the screen. But I pause it until I click my mouse button again or my little controller, and then all of a sudden the next one comes up. So it's different from just the animation of a, you know, something sliding across the screen bullet point by bullet point, which we've all seen a billion times. Sure. This really catches their attention, and it creates, from what I've learned anyway, it creates anticipation for what's the little guy going to write next. Wow, that's great stuff. Pre Presentermedia.com. Uh, before we let you get away, we've just got about a minute, Miles. Tell me about the pricing. How does it work? You can do, well, there's three options when you go to the site. You can do one month for $39.95. Don't do that one. One year is $59.95, and two years is 100 bucks. So uh, buy it for a year, spend an extra 20 bucks, you'll have it for a whole year. And then when you get into the renewals, it is a little bit less per, per subscription as a renewal customer. And I said, I, I've been, I, I'm on my fourth year of subscription, um, and it's, it's just been a fantastic tool. Yeah, a great tool to bring to the show, Miles. Thank you so much. The X's and O's segment with Miles Austin brought to you by 4D Sales. By the way, you have to find Miles Austin online if you have not already at fillthefunnel.com. Follow him on Twitter at Miles Austin. 4D Sales makes this segment possible, and we're they're great partners of ours, and both Miles and I love using their, their tool. It is a tablet-based sales tool. It's available for iPad and Windows. And it has everything that you need to make a sales presentation go exactly like you'd like it to go. Having been in this business for a very long time, I can tell you it's, it is truly that easy-to-use tool that enables you to put all the pieces into one place. Price list, PDFs, web pages, slide decks, brochures, even videos, live web pages all together. And you've got those things available for your sales presentations. Find them at 4dsales.com. And thanks to them for sponsoring the X's and O's segment with Miles Austin. That's going to do it for our show this week. Show number 20 in the can. Great to have you on board. Thanks to Michael Sergit again for making us sound great. Our executive producer is Brandy Jackson. want to encourage you to find us on bizlockerroom.com. And if you've got questions or ideas, send me your emails, kelly at bizlockerroom.com. We're out next week. We'll have a rebroadcast of one of our great shows in the past. And then on September the 8th, I'll be back with Mark Roberts, the Chief Revenue Officer of HubSpot. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us in the Business Locker Room.
Thanks for joining the Business Locker Room with your host, Kelly Riggs. Kelly will be back again next week for more business-building content and conversation for your playbook. Tune in Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel for another edition of the Business Locker Room. Remember, business is a competition. Play to win. Play to win.